0: I love the theme of those songs, and it's all about the worthiness of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, we are in John chapter 3, and uh, our theme this morning as we walk through this passage of Scripture is around responding rightly, and uh, John the Baptizer is going to give us uh, just some uh, godly wisdom as we walk through what, what sometimes can be emotionally challenging times. And so we, we are emotional creatures. Uh, each one of us, uh, God has gifted us with, with emotions. And, and, uh, when we, sometimes when we, uh, hear things or we smell things, or, uh, even we, we take part in things, it triggers an emotion in us. And so uh, I, I have a couple of photographs that I want to show you this morning. And before we show those, I just want to give a little bit of, of uh, just, you know, be at ease. And if, if these photographs happen to trigger an emotional response, it's, it's completely good to share that emotion. All right. So we're just going to see how we are, in fact, emotional people. All right. So uh, the first photograph we will put on. Uh, let's go ahead and put that up. All right. I see those odds. OK, so so you see the puppy. All right. Uh, how many people have a puppy? Just curious. A dog in your home. So there was that time and that day where it was like we're we're getting a puppy, or a puppy showed up at your house and you're like, we got to keep this puppy. All right. So so it triggers the it triggers the feels uh, with the emotion. You don't want the puppy. Okay. Well well maybe it, it can trigger different emotions as well. Right. All right. Here's another photograph that may trigger an emotional response. We'll go for the next one. All right. Uh, the, this was actually really. This was tricky. This was difficult to, to, to actually, to be able to know that this picture is behind my head right now. Uh, but it's some team down in the South that happened to win a national championship. All right. I hear that. All right. But, but there's actually another picture that, that may create some emotion as well. And that that's of another team and it it creates this, you know, something about a trophy. that looks like an egg and, and, uh, anyway, and then there's uh, there's another there's another team that's not far from here that you got to love the Tigers, right? They, they had a great game yesterday. And and uh, so so I, I, I say this to simply prove a point that we all know. Right. Just having a little fun. We're we are emotional people. It's amazing how even just a photograph, it triggers something inside of us. And it it perhaps brings joy and it brings excitement and it brings energy. And like, like we love all of those positive emotions. But I believe if we're all completely honest in the room, we also wrestle at times with those emotions that are on the opposite side of the spectrum. So not so much about joy, but maybe, maybe discouragement. Or specifically, as we're going to see in this text, we're going to see a volatile emotional situation where envy and jealousy and even seeds of bitterness are found in this text. And the question is, is that as believers, when we walk through times like this and these what we'll just call unhealthy emotional temptations rise up in us, what do we do with that? Like, How do we navigate those waters? Because I think we would all agree, and it's the main point of the message today, is that the believer's life is to point to the glory of Christ. That, that, that our lives, and we think about what makes up our lives, our attitudes, our actions, our reactions, like all of those things kind of are the outflow of our life. And 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 those those outflow, those actions, reactions and attitudes, I want you to think about it. They all carry a smell. They all carry an aroma. And the question for the believer's life who has repented of their sin and trusted in Jesus and Jesus alone is that the genuine desire of the believer's life is that is that our attitudes, our actions and even our, our, our behaviors all honor Christ They all point to him and and honoring who he is and that we are by God's grace, those who have been redeemed. We are redeemed, but we are not perfect. And those are those are the realities that the believer walks in. We're redeemed by God's grace, but we are not perfect people. And so how do we do that? How do we navigate those those fleshly earthly uh, emotions when they rise up? What do we do? And Jesus is going to teach us what a life looks like that points to him when these potentials are, 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 are in the mix. Uh, Jesus says about John the baptizer in Matthew eleven eleven. Jesus said, of all of those that have been born of a woman, there's been no one greater than John the Baptist. And that's a profound uh, affirmation and reference for, for a person's life. Jesus says about John, the baptizer, that, that, that there's been no, no man like him. So John, the baptizer, just as a refresher, he is the forerunner for Jesus. His whole life was wrapped up in one mission. Prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the way, prepare the way, and then get out of the way. He was the long haired camel hair wearing locust, eating gospel, preaching all about Jesus voice in the wilderness. I love how his, his testimony really can be summed up in one word, a voice, the voice. He was all about pointing this world to Jesus. And where we're jumping into the text again, Jesus has just finished this evening conversation, gospel conversation with Nicodemus. Not sure how much time he might've stayed there around Jerusalem before he heads into the Judean countryside, and we are going to find ourselves squarely in a very emotionally volatile, sensitive situation. And John the baptizer is going to show us what it looks like to walk through that. All the while the goal is pointing to the glory of Christ, no matter what. And so here's what the Bible says in John three, verse 22 It says after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. And now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification so Jesus and his disciples have made their way out into the Judean countryside, uh, preaching the gospel. People are being baptized all the while. John, the baptizer and his disciples are also in the Judean uh, countryside. And, and they are continuing with the ministry there. And, and they're in the same general vicinity and area baptizing. And then in in the text, the Bible says in verse 25 that a discussion arose. So a a discussion arose around John the Baptist's kind of closest followers. And and it's it's a discussion. But if you have a different translation, it might say another word instead of discussion. Does anybody's translation say a different word other than a discussion arose? A argument, a disagreement and so isn't that unique that sometimes like the emotionally less charged thing to say is a discussion? Uh, and, I, and I laugh a little bit, but I mean, you know, you just wonder even coming here, how many discussions that we had on the way on the way to, to gathering together. Uh, but but this is not this is a discussion. It absolutely is. But it's a disagreement. It's an argument and emotions are present. And and the Bible says that there is a disagreement between John the baptizer's closest disciples and with a Jew over purification. And so we don't know if this Jew was a a Jewish believer following Christ. We don't have all those details. But honestly, this disagreement is really a symptom of a much deeper issue that we're seeing in the Bible. And we're gonna see that deeper issue in the very next verse. So I don't wanna get it caught up in the, the disagreement over purification because there is a root issue that is much bigger that is at play in the text. In verse 26, the Bible says this And they came to John, John the baptizer, and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. In other words, John the baptizer, hey, stop being about the mission that God has created you for, what God has called you to, and I want you to look, and I want you to look at what happened, what's happening across the way. Jesus' popularity and the popularity of the disciples, their popularity is beginning to eclipse the popularity of John the baptizer and, and his followers and, and what you hear is in, is you hear that in all. When you start going all and every, that's a red flag. Because the text just told us that John was baptizing and his disciples, they were continuing in the mission. But all of a sudden, it's like these big, broad strokes like, hey, John, major problem here, Rabbi. All are going to him. And you can almost hear the insecurity dripping off these close followers of John, the baptizer. You can hear the, 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 the envy and even the jealousy, and you can even pick on perhaps that they have found themselves in what we'll call the comparison trap. And the comparison trap is a trap that is alive and well in the 21st century, just as alive and well as it was hundreds of centuries ago. And the comparison trap is this trap where nobody wins. It is when you look across the way, and you see something across the way and it has an emotional, it triggers an emotional response in you that is not healthy and it's not honoring to the Lord. And what happens is you can look at somebody across the way and you can look at their life and their actions and their reactions. And you can maybe, uh, the, the temptation is pride begins to creep in because at least At least you're not as bad as they are or as bad off as they are or or in the position they are. And so pride creeps in. But it can also look across the way and you see someone experiencing great success and you see them flourishing and you see your condition or where you're at. And and what can happen is you can look at that across the way and it can create a negative emotion inside of you, which is that feeling of being discouraged and even feeling like a failure at times and and feeling like a loser sometimes because, wow, they have it all together and look at all the success and you just kind of feel like you're spinning your wheels a little bit. But what we're going to see is that these guys that are close to John, that are wrestling right now with this emotionally sensitive situation, they're the good guys. Like they're not pagan, godless, God-hating, far-from-God people. They're follow, like they're John the Baptizer's, closest, closest comrades in ministry. And so if these who are closest even to John the Baptizer, the greatest man that's been born of woman, what, that, what does that tell us about all, all, really all of us? And that is simply this: encouragement. We are redeemed in Christ. Amen. We are redeemed in Christ, but we are not perfect. We're not perfect. And so as we look at the text, what, what about us? I want to I take a quick, silent survey. And I just want us together to answer these questions in our hearts. As I walk through these questions, the first question would be this. Do you find yourself struggling with the comparison trap or the comparison game? It can feel like a game at first, but it becomes a trap. And what that means is you look at others and you compare what you know about yourself to maybe what you don't know about others, and it creates a struggle and a tension inside your heart. I am, I am, I am for social media. I think there are some great, great uh, aspects of social media. I also think there can be great red flags with social media. I was reading an article just a couple days ago, and it basically uh, there was a correlation for those who would spend X amount of time on social media, that if it was a, if it was a it was a, a, a vast amount of time, there was a direct correlation to depression and envy and jealousy. Because what happens as you scroll is you are perhaps being reminded of, of, of all of these other people's lives that don't quite match up where you're at. And there's a, there. And so it's, it's just, again, it's just a, it's a possibility that it's a, it's a trap. It can be a trap. If your heart's not guarded, do you find yourself currently being bitter toward another person? Do you find yourself being jealous of another person? Now, what about the person that you work with? And they maybe got that promotion before you did. And there's a frust- there's a struggle with that, or or maybe your work is going unnoticed or underappreciated, and you and you find yourself wrestling with that, and it creates again it creates these these potentials for these unhealthy emotions to take over. And this is just a word of warning for all of us: jealousy, envy, and bitterness, if left unchecked, will wreak havoc in your heart, and it will wear you down emotionally and physically. So how do we do it? How do we navigate? John, the baptizer is going to give us four principles, but again, the principles aren't the focus of the text. Jesus is. Jesus is the focus of every text. And so he's going to guide us through these emotions all the while keeping Jesus as the focus of our lives and the outflow of our lives. So the first is this, what is a spiritually mature response to an emotionally unhealthy temptation. And one is this divine awareness and acceptance, divine awareness and acceptance. This speaks of responding with both awareness and acceptance that God is in control. God is in control. Look at chapter three, verse 27. The Bible says this, John answered them in the midst of the emotional whirlwind. And he says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. So when the temptation to look and look across the countryside and look at the popularity there and look at our situation here, John's first response is to acknowledge the fact that God is the gracious giver of all things and that God is in control, that Job in the Old Testament shares a couple of very encouraging but also very challenging truths found in Scripture. In Job 42:2, Job says, "I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted." And that is super encouraging because it's this idea that as believers, as the redeemed, is that we are securely in the hand of our Maker, our God. And yet, if anything is going to get to us, it must go through him. And for Job, he says this over in verse one, verse uh, chapter one, verse twenty one. He says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he says this after he has literally lost everything. Almost everything. Everything. And he says this, over in Philippians 4.13, Paul says this, I can do all things through him who gives me, anybody know the word? Strength. And I love that verse. Even growing up, I would see athletes and they would have their eye black on and they'd have Philippians 4.13 and on the shoes and on wristbands. And I love that message. But it's, it's even more powerful when you see the context. And that is, Paul is saying, whether I am hungry or whether I have little, whether I have much, or I have scarcity, I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. And so we are seeing here for John that he was not entitled, but rather he saw himself as a servant of the Lord, and that everything, every good gift is from above. And so he doesn't allow his heart to go down those dead-end roads, because he knows ultimately God is in control. And that is one of the greatest comforts of the believer. It's one of the greatest comforts I have as I look across on the other side of the planet and I see war. And it grieves my soul to see the injustice, to see loss of life. And you see this great brokenness. And then we don't have to look too far from even just our, our families and those close to us. We, brokenness hits close to home. But yet the backdrop of all of that is the love of the cross. God's demonstrating his love towards and the fact that he is in control. And there is great rest in that. And so for John the Baptizer, I, I think of Martin Luther uh, was one of the, the great reformers. He says this: God created the world out of nothing. And when I realize that I am nothing, perhaps God can create something out of me too. <laughs> And so for him, it was just God is in control and it was always about him. And so when this temptation rise up, God is in control. Anything I have, any good thing is from above. A second truth that we see your principle is that to embrace our purpose. When these temptations rise up, God is in control and focus on the mission. Respond by embracing for God's purpose for our life. Look at verse 28. The Bible says this, you yourselves bear me witness what I said, or that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. I love that passage. I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He even says, he's like, guys, do you not remember what, I, what I've been telling you along the way? I'm not the Messiah. I don't know why you think I might be the Messiah. I've told you from day one, I'm not. My whole mission is to point people to Jesus And so I'm not the Messiah, but, but I am the one I love it. I have been sent. In other words, his focus was about his mission. I was thinking, uh, this kind of visual popped in my head, but, but sometimes in parades, you see horses and, uh, and whether it's a a horse, uh, or or training or whatever that might be. And they're, they're going out there and they're, they're, they're walking. And a lot of times you'll see these things on their eyes. Uh, to the sides of their eyes. And I think they're called blinders. They're called blinders. And so they put blinders on the horse. Why? To keep focused, to stay focused, because it is so easy to get distracted by all of the movement and the activity that is going on in the parade. That if you become distracted, you may get deterred off course, and then you're going to end up really causing a scene. And nobody wants that. Nobody wants that, and so I think of it almost as like John the Baptizer has blinders on. He has blinders on that allow him to stay focused on the mission that God had entrusted him with. He wanted his life to point to Jesus. He was good with not being the the the, the star of the show. He was good with simply being a voice. He just wanted to be entrusted with the mission that God had for him. And it can be tempting. It can be tempting to see others, God's plan for others lives. And again, when we're not careful, we start getting in that comparison game and it's a dead end road every single time. But what can happen is we can become be distractive of like, well, well, I wish or, or I, or I could have and, and those kind of things. But. But at the end of the day, don't miss this believer, redeemed one, be encouraged that right here and right now in this place, God has a purpose for your life. But you're not you're not like a hamster on a wheel, but God has a design to want to use you for his kingdom and for his glory and for his mission. And so for John, the he says this, I'm not the Messiah, I'm the sent one. He's a missionary, we're missionaries. And he's like, I'm a sent one and what you feel happening in the conversation is like the emotional temperature is being it's almost like it's being turned down now and he's listening to them and and what they're sharing and the 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 hush is coming over the distractions of the jealousy and the envy and the the bitterness And all of that is fading. Why? I believe because of the first two things we've seen in John's life. Everything that is good comes from the father. A guy, a person can't have anything apart from God. God's in control. But he also had an intense focus on the mission that God had entrusted him with. And that's where you find joy. That's where you find joy. I love how John then goes into talking about a wedding. Look at verse 29. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. And the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. So John the baptizer is saying, I'm the best man. I'm not the groom. This whole thing isn't about me. It's about the, 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 the bridegroom. Excuse me, get my words mixed up. It's about the bridegroom. It's not about the best man. No wedding is about the best man. And <laughs> a matter of fact, back in the day, the, bride, or the, the best man had a big job and that big job was to, pray, to, to prepare the bride and make sure she made it to the wedding. And then once the groom was there in the mix, his job is done. Like he, He's like, okay, bride's here. We're, we're at the altar. Uh, the groom has arrived. I'm done. Did my job successful. And, and that's what John the baptizer is saying. He's like, I'm, I'm the best man that this this wedding and even this life isn't about me. My whole mission is to prepare others and point others to the groom that is coming. And so prepare the way, prepare the way. And Christ is here. And so he is saying, I, my heart rejoices at the voice of the Lord. He's here. The bridegroom has arrived and he just steps out of the way. And it would be really strange to go to a wedding where you could see all the faces of the bridal party. And if you saw the best man and if he was sitting over there as the vows were being shared and you just saw a big old nasty scowl on the best man's face and you saw him kind of turning red a little bit and fuming a little bit and kind of cooking at the grass a little bit, that would be really, really strange. But what we see here is like the fact that Jesus is here and he has come for his bride. And the fact that he's here, like my joy is complete. My my heart rejoices at the voice of the bridegroom. And he says, he steps out of the way. He's saying, once again, this life is not about me. It's not about me. And so he embraces this mission that God has for him to be that voice. But a third thing, and I love this about John, how humble he remains. Like through all of this. Let's not forget John the baptizer. He was, he was a popular guy. I mean, there were, there were lots of people that were going out there in the wilderness to find out what in the world is going on out there. This long haired camel hair wearing locust eating gospel preaching, man, what is going on? And so he's very, very, very popular. But in all of this, you see John's John just stays humble. And that That's as we respond with an accurate view of who we are in relationship to God. Look at verse 30. He must increase, I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. And he who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. I love this. John isn't thinking less of himself. He just sees himself in light of the glory of Christ in light of the amazingness of Christ. This is what he's seeing. And we see this humility in his life. All these, this kind of inner circle is susceptible to this unhealthy emotion and giving in. And and listen, John was a, a, a guy just that we relate to. He was just like us. He wasn't perfect, but he was redeemed. That he put his sandals on just like we would put our shoes on. And I just wonder if there wasn't even some some temptation even in John's life. But yet again, by God's grace, he knows God is in control. By God's grace, he stays focused on the mission that God's given him. And by God's grace, he stays humble, knowing that the purpose of his life was was to point to the glory of Christ. And in a lot of ways, I think John saw himself like a turtle on a fence post. If you've ever seen one of those, a turtle on a fence post, a turtle can't get on a fence post. <laughs> Somebody has to pick the turtle up and put the turtle on the fence post. Why? Because he could never get there on his own. And so for John, he, he lived with this understanding that everything was a gracious gift from God, that, that God was in control, that God had a mission for his life. And that he remains humble as he anchors to the voice of Christ in his life. And it's being anchored to the word of Jesus that keeps him from drifting into that unhealthy, emotional whirlwind. He stays anchored. And so the question for us is this. I want to ask who who in your world has who is the loudest voice in your life and who is the most influential voice? voice in your life. And it's good to think through that. And I I see some smiles across the room because we know who those voices are in us. But I also love how John the baptizer says this, the volume on the earth has got to be turned down. That's why he talks about. These, his disciples, they have earthly conversations. Look, look, all everybody's going to them. But for for John, the baptizer, he's like, no, I got to turn the volume down on the world and I got to turn the voice of the Lord up in my life. Because how else how else are we going to stay tethered to the mission of God for our lives if we don't find ourselves anchored to his word? And if we're not anchored to his word, we become more susceptible to the loudness of the world and to the loudness even of our own flesh. So for John, the baptizer, again, he responds with this divine awareness and acceptance. He embraces the mission that God has for him. He remains humble. He has this accurate view of who he is because he has an accurate view of who God is. And then a fourth is that you see him continuing in faithful obedience, faithful obedience that even in the midst he is staying faithful and obedient to what God has for his life. And we do this by resting in, uh, resting our total weight in Christ, our total trust in Christ, obedient to his leadership no matter the cost. So John, the baptizer, his whole life wrapped up in following Jesus and walking obediently to him. And he continues to have these gospel conversations with with the guys that are there. Verse 32, he says, he bears witness, speaking of Christ, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. John 1, the disciple John, introducing us to this gospel, he teaches us who Jesus is. He teaches us that Jesus is God, that he came to give spiritual life. He came to bring spiritual light, that for all those who believe in him are adopted as sons and daughters, And the Bible also teaches that he came to his own and his own didn't receive him. And even just a a couple verses back with Nicodemus, Nick at night, that he's there and he's having this, he's having a gospel conversation. And everything we see leads us to believe that when they left that night, that Nicodemus never came to that place in that point in time where he accepted and placed his faith and trust in Jesus as savior of the world. And so there will be those, there will be masses that reject the Lord. But verse 33 says, whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true, that God is true. So to the believer, the one who believes has set their seal that God is true. I I see my buddy Robbie here. and, And so if I send a letter to Robbie. And I put, let's just say I have a seal. That's my fancy way of sealing the envelope to prove that it's for me. And so I put my seal on it. And if I mail it to Robbie, if he gets my letter and he noticed that the seal is unbroken, then he, and he sees my unique seal and it's been unbroken, that he has a confidence that what I'm saying and communicating to him is what I truly believe. It has not had the opportunity to be hijacked, to be twisted, to be turned into something different. Like my testimony is true, and then the opposite would be true. If he got that same letter and he noticed the seal was broken, he might give me a call and say, "Hey, Jared. Just by the way, I got a letter from you in the mail. Did you seal? Did you seal the letter? Yeah, I sealed it. Did you? Did you seal it all the way? I did all the way. But if he gets it and it's it's it's, it's been opened or it's already been." Twisted, then that, that testimony might not be received as true, but what, what, what the believer is true of the believer's life is, is that for those who believe and receive that Christ is God and that he is the Messiah, then that is the statement and sealed with the truth that Jesus is in fact God and God is true. Verse 34, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the spirit without measure. This is speaking of Jesus. Jesus is God. The words of Jesus are the words of God. He is the fullness of spirit. As believers, God places his Holy Spirit in us, but our flesh can sometimes get in the way of the work of the spirit. Not so with Christ, right? Christ is God. And so the fullness of the spirit is manifest without measure. In verse 35, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. And whoever believes in the son, I love this. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. We are going to hear this all through the gospel of John. We're going to hear gospel conversation after gospel conversation after gospel conversation. And the message is consistent all the way through is that there is no life. There is no life outside of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus Christ is God, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to bring spiritual life. He came to bring spiritual light. Only in him and through him can a sinner be forgiven of their sin and to be cleansed and have a relationship with Jesus. And all along the way, which is the purpose of John's gospel, I've written these things so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you will have life in his name. So all through this consistent message, listen, for those who, and I love how faith, and obedience are almost like two sides of the same coin. In other words, when you repent of your sin and trust in Jesus, you, God gifts you the presence of the Holy Spirit to live a life with His strength that brings honor to Him. Not perfect, but redeemed. But for those who reject, the Bible says, for those who do not obey the Son, they shall not see life. The wrath of God remains on Him. In other words, those who reject Christ are condemned for all eternity. And so John, the disciple of love, is continuing to preach the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the gospel to this world, to everybody. And just that reminder that there is life and life alone is found in Jesus Christ. And so for the believer in the room, again, the point of this text is not John The point of the text is not the the drama that was ensuing with with his disciples. The point of the story is that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and he's the only one who can give life. And what we see through John's practical life is he had these bearings about his life where it would be tempting to go the earthly route. But yet for him, he trusted that God was in control. For him, he trusted that God had a mission for his life where he was at for him. He stayed humble. The voice of the Lord increased. He must increase. I must decrease. And he stayed faithful, even in the tough times, even working through the tough stuff. He stayed faithful all along the way. And so for the believer, may we be encouraged. We are redeemed. Praise the Lord. We are not perfect. We all find ourselves in these places, but may our lives point to Jesus our actions, our reactions, and our attitudes. And John gives us a great pathway in navigating those. All the while, John is saying this, follow him, (laughs) follow him. I'm not the Messiah, I'm the sent one. Follow him. And so what does it look like, believer, to follow him more closely? What does it look like to increase his influence in your life and decrease your influence in your life. What does it look like to trust God even in the midst of swirling, distraction and comparison and rather just stay faithful and resting in him and being faithful to the mission that he's entrusted? Which again, I say, God has entrusted every single one of us with a mission and a purpose. And for those who are, the one or those listening that may be here and is living apart from a relationship with Jesus, there is no life, there's no eternal life apart from placing your full weight and trust in Jesus. And if you have never made that decision, I appeal to you and pray today that today would be the day of salvation. Acknowledging our brokenness, changing our mind about our sin and trusting in the perfect life, death, burial, and resurrection of King Jesus. And that through doing that and surrendering him as Lord, he will give life and life to the full. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you how this whole Bible is about you. Every story whispering your name Father, I love how even in the midst of real life brokenness with, with, with the good guys, that God, you, through your spirit's power, guide the, the believer in navigating those emotions that are very real. So God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in the room um, as these, these unhealthy emotions are sitting at the door. And they're, they're sitting, they're crouching at the door of our hearts. And it can be so tempting. And, and God, we know we don't like these feelings. But Father, what do we do? We rest. We rest that you're in control. We rest that you are in control. That no plan or purpose of yours can be thwarted. That the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God is in control. Embrace the mission that God has for you in your home and in your neighborhood. And wherever you live, work and play, embrace the mission that God, that you've entrusted us and God, that through it all, we would be careful whose voice is the loudest whose voice influences us most may it be yours just as it was with john and father may you find us step by step god if there is a step of obedience that you are calling us to god may you give us the courage to step out in faith and to trust you no matter the cost no matter what and father for anybody who may be here who doesn't have a relationship with you god Through your word and through the gospel, you are pursuing a love relationship. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And it's the theme of the whole gospel of John. And so God, I pray today would be the day that they would admit their need and repent of their sin and place their trust in you and you alone. God, We love you and you are worthy. And may our lives, everything about it, point to you. God, we love you and praise you in Jesus name. Amen.